Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem, and this week on the show, we've been doing this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I know this is brought up a lot for some people. Maybe you went to Catholic school, you didn't have a very good experience, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you're an atheist who's interested in spirituality, um, or maybe, you know, you've just returned home to Jesus or the Bible or whatever it might be. This episode is all about what does Jesus have to do with yoga? I think you're going to love this. I've been making preparations to do a teacher training and share some of this holistic classical yoga, so stay tuned for that. But today on the show, I'm going to break down, you know, as I prepared for this manual, break down what does Jesus have to do with yoga and how can a relationship to the teachings of Jesus and the consciousness of Jesus, how can that improve your capacity to connect via practices like yoga, which I know most of the people who are listening to this podcast are interested in. So today, Jesus as the yogi, right here on Revealing the Diamond. Before we get into the show, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Minds Die. Thank you, Minds Die, for everything you do for the show. As you can see, today I'm rocking one of my Minds Die shirts here. She does amazing custom-dyed fabrics, and if you'd like to get something like this, or maybe a hoodie, or maybe some bed sheets, my bed sheets are really dope. I'll, maybe sometime I'll take you on a little tour of the house so you can check them out. She's really talented, and you can find her on the Etsy store at Minds Die, or check her out on Instagram, send her a little DM on Minds Die, and and she will make whatever you like. Also want to encourage you to head on over to tiagoprem.com, and if you go to the courses section of the site, you'll see lots of new content there. I'm going to put a new uh, mini course on Yoga Nidra and how it works. Um, I'm also going to put Waking Up, a sadhana class, or course, not really class, that you can join and work at your own pace. I'm just going to put a lot of content there. So if you haven't gone there yet, go there and participate in those. If you want to practice in person, then you know, stay tuned for more information about what's happening down here in San Pancho. If you are visiting Sayulita, San Pancho, Puerto Vallarta, and you want to practice, do some classical yoga, some Dharma yoga with me, just reach out, tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com, and we can make a plan uh, to practice together in person. If you need support in your practices, whatever those practices might be, I do one-on-one -on -one work and I'd be happy to share with you uh, what wisdom and knowledge I've experienced in my 20 plus years of practice. Okay, all right, let's get into the show. So as I mentioned in the intro, I'm going to talk today about Jesus as a yogi or how a relationship with Jesus really informs classical yoga practice. And I think this one will be really valuable for those of you who, you know, maybe you've been working through. I, I've done, I think the one coming up this week is part six in the Sermon on the Mount series, and it's been really powerful. So if you haven't listened, go back and listen to them. There's a new episode coming out this Sunday. Uh, so that would be towards the end of March. But you can go back and listen to all of these episodes. There's so much wisdom in there. It's jam-packed with goodness. And I, I have had exchanges with a couple of people who have been like, well, you know, I like the yoga, and I like the Buddhism thing, and I like the recovery, and I like all of those things you do, but Jesus, that might be a stretch. And 
And so I kind of want to bridge some of those gaps for folks and just encourage you to open your heart and mind to the wisdom of Jesus and see how it informs yoga. Uh, in no way am I attempting to, say, pick one or the other. I'm more looking for the through lines of truth and doing my very best to open my mind, open my heart, open my body uh, so that I can uh, be of service, so that I can be a light of hope and faith and peace and love in the world. That's really why I practice yoga. I mean, I started in the first place for recovery from drugs and alcohol, and now it's become a lifestyle practice, uh, a healing modality for myself and for others. And I'm so grateful for yoga. I'm so thankful for my teachers, Sri Dharma Mitra, and my teacher, Guru Singh, as well. Everything that I've learned from the Sikh tradition, from years of study in uh, Vedic philosophy, yoga philosophy, Ayurveda, the life of the Buddha, and then, of course, Yeshua or Jesus and, uh, and, and many other practices. I, so I have um, a friend who recommended this book called One Drum by Richard Wagamese, and I've been uh, soaking up some of that indigenous wisdom. It's amazing. I highly recommend that book. Um, and also trying my best to learn as much as I can from the local wisdom, uh, the, the wisdom of the tattvas, the earth, the elements, and also uh, the local people here in Mexico. So there are teachers everywhere. Uh, available to us, and I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of them. And, and just to be clear, this isn't a one or the other thing. It's can we see uh, the truth in everything? Can we see the love in everything? And Jesus's life is a great example of how to do that. Okay, so I'm going to go through probably about six practices, and then I'm going to break them into subcategories. And I think by the end, we'll get some clarity on how Jesus relates to the classical yoga practice, and hopefully this will inspire you to go deeper in your work as a practitioner of yoga and a practitioner of devotional practice. So these are the types of yoga from my personal experience and my 20-plus years of experience that really inform holistic classical yoga practice. The first one is called Raja Yoga or Raj Yoga. Raja means royal, right, or the, the king or the queen, that kind of thing, the royal path. It's also the science of yoga. And, and I would even say <clears throat> the interesting thing about yoga is that it, it really is the science of religion. It's not so much the belief systems, like if you believe this, then you get that. It's more like, you know, oh, uh, devotion is a really fast path to yoga. Okay, well, how does that work? Oh, if I move my body in this way and stretch my spine and twist and forward bend and arch my back, you know, what, what kind of impact does that have on the physical body? How does it affect the um, energetic body? How does it affect the spiritual part of my practice? That's really the scientific uh, experiment. Uh, and so that's why I say it's the science of religion in a sense. It's like, it's not so much about beliefs. Yes, you may have an emotional experience while you're singing a song, or you may have been born into a culture, and, and that feels really close to your uh, home uh, in your heart because it reminds you of your uh, grandparents or it reminds you of your parents or reminds you of the place where you came from. Um, all of these things are valid and valuable. And when I say science of religion, it's going, okay, so you have this experience, whether it's positive or negative, let's look at what that is and how it works. And for the sake of a yoga practice, let's see if we can create a system for you by looking at previous systems. That's how science works. We look at previous data and see if we can maximize um, our 
frequency or how we interface with this manifest reality in a way that is uh, physically beneficial, spiritually beneficial, emotionally beneficial, energetically beneficial, mentally beneficial, so that you know we're able to uh, transmute the pain that we're going to experience in this life into medicine. Not only medicine for ourselves, but medicine for the people we're in relationship with, medicine for the earth, medicine for our pets, medicine for medicine for everyone, and also so that we're able to receive medicine through our breath, through our food, through water, through uh, inspiration from scriptural studies, from God, etc. So what is the science? What is the formula that works? And that's what I mean by the science of religion. We're not so much talking about what do you believe in. Um, and, and also the science of spirituality. I see these things as the same. I understand why some people don't, uh, because there's a lot of hang-ups around dogma and, and the belief system being central um, to how these things work. And then you go, okay, well, I don't want the belief system, so I'll just call it spirituality. Um, I'm really interested in the science of, of how it works, and I want to take it apart and really maximize my experience as a human in this world uh, in how I look at death, how I look at life, how I look at health, how I look at relationships and communication, and what is the science of that. And for me, that's really what the Raja Yoga path is. And so the Raja Yoga path is really the Patanjali Yoga. So Patanjali is the sage who penned the uh, Yoga Sutras, and some people say it was multiple people. Some people say Patanjali was a mythical character that was half man and half snake. There are all kinds of theories about who Patanjali uh, is and was, and that's not the purpose of this video. But I do want to just be clear for the Raja Yoga, we're talking about Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga. And Ashtanga means, Ashtao is eight, Anga means limbs, so this is the eight-limbed path of yoga. You've heard about these different stages or steps or, or aspects of other uh, spiritual practices from the East, like in Buddhism and that sort of thing. But <clears throat> for yoga, the text, uh, Yoga Sutras, we get this instruction of these eight uh, elements or aspects of practice that are going to work as a science uh, to support awakening, essentially. And these are yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Okay? So yama being like the ethics, niyama being like the routines and rituals, the things that you can actually do in relationship to the ethics, Asana meaning seat originally, but now we think about that as posture. All of the postures are preparation to have a steady and joyful seat. So we're able to sit in meditation or turn any posture into a meditative seat. I really That really resonates with me. Um, pranayama, so the ability to work with life force, create an open channel, um, work with the breath. Uh, that's really where the access point to the prana or the life force is, so breath work um, and learning to breathe in a way that is conscious, present, alert, awake, calm, that kind of thing. Energizing, uh, pratyahara, so learning to work with the senses so we're not being constantly pulled out by the senses. Oh, I see that and so I desire that. I smell that and so I'm going to go towards that. Oh, I want to taste that and we're being constantly pulled out. Now, it's wonderful to enjoy the experience of the senses. The challenge is, is the, if the senses start to take control of our reality and we start to engage in habits that are unhealthy 
for ourselves, for our destiny, for our dharma, and, and because our senses are controlling us and we begin to make choices that we don't necessarily want to make. For example, addiction is any repeated behavior that produces negative results that we continue to participate in. That's an addiction. You can see how that's the senses pulling you out of destiny, pulling you out of dharma, pulling you out of your mission, perhaps even pulling you out of your relationship with God or your inner knower or self. So we need to create a new relationship to the senses so that we can enjoy foods that are, make us feel good and nourished, so that we can listen to sounds that make us feel a deeper sense of self and, and loving devotion so that we can feel uh, the touch and warm embrace of somebody who, who loves us and we can love, you know, embrace our child or our pets. And you see what I mean? We're, we're learning to have a healthy relationship with the senses and not be co constantly uh, controlled or manipulated by sensory um, sensory experience so we want to have a dharmic sensory experience uh, as opposed to a karmic sensory experience dharmic meaning in alignment with our mission and purpose our values and vision and karmic being like well whatever's in front of you that's what's going to control your senses make sense and then uh, there's dharana which is uh, concentration techniques many of the techniques that we do as hatha yoga practitioners are about that but some of them are, you know, meditations that have something to focus on or the japa mala, you know, which also is informed by devotion, but like a repetition of a mantra or um, repetition of a certain kind of movement um, that you could even place with a, a, a mantra, you know, like spinal flexes, you inhale and you exhale, you inhale so, you exhale hum, or you inhale sat or exhale nam or whatever mantra that you do. Uh, that you could do that with the breathing. You close your eyes, you focus at the brow point, you relax the brain, you're engaged in a uh, dharana practice, a concentration practice. Now we're getting a little more subtle as we go through this experience and this system, scientific system of Raja Yoga. Then through doing these uh, previous six stages of practice, meditation may arise. Okay, So dhyana is like the arising of meditation. It's like you have this moment of uh, mental clarity where you're not striving to get somewhere. You become receptive and uh, it comes in like the experience of meditation comes in like a fog. Dhyana is the experience of meditation. And then in spending time in that space of the experience of meditation, uh, you will um, experience samadhi or you'll uh, be in a state of samadhi, sama meaning same. Uh, samadhi is like sameness or oneness, or you know, you're not being pulled here, there, and everywhere. You are fully present. Like my first yoga teacher, he wrote a book called It's Here Now. Are you? If you are here now in the fullness of the moment, that's samadhi from my personal viewpoint, the experience of the present moment in its fullness, everything interconnected, one being, one self, uh, one oneness, or ek ankar, Guru Nanak called it in the Sikh faith. You with me? So there you go. That's the, that's the uh, Raja Yoga. Then there is the Hatha Yoga. So Hatha Yoga, uh, I always think about with Hatha Yoga, two scriptures from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Uh, one of them is Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha, which means that yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. 
Okay, so the um, your mind is constantly going, thinking, turning, uh, opinions, judgments, stories, la da 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 da. And uh, yoga is the experience when you you place less emphasis or value on those. And it's not just by saying don't think, don't think, don't think. It's something that arises, like I described with dhyana in uh, the previous Raja Yoga. So that's one. And then the other is tapaswadhyaya ishvara pranidhana kriya yoga. So tapas being uh, discipline or structure, uh, swadhyaya, the study of scriptures and the uh, generation of teachers before you, your spiritual lineage, which could also be your blood lineage. Um, Know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Holy Bible, the Dhammapada, um, you name it, the Vedas, uh, just some st study. And also the words of your teacher, things that were said to you, uh, maybe your journaling practice, things that you are channeling through in your own time. Um, it's a, a study of wisdom and knowledge. Then Ishvara Pranidhana is a surrender to God, surrender to the inner knower, a practice of receptivity, like my teacher Sri Dharma Mitra would say, be receptive to the grace of God. May you understand who the self is in this lifetime. There's a, a letting go of the need to control that happens in order for that experience to come into full effect. And that experience of, of the self, that experience of God is yoga. Kriya Yoga, so the yoga of action. You're doing all of these actions of discipline, study, surrender to God, and keeping in action with this, you will experience yoga. The experience of oneness with God equals yoga. You with me? <laughs> okay. So, and, and I think it's also important to say here is that if we're saying yoga is the experience of oneness with God or the experience of oneness, one thing to note is that when we say God, we're also saying self. We're also saying guru via the tattvas, via the elements. Um, from dense to subtle, these are all the same. The ancient teachings say when you recognize that God, guru, and self are one and the same, that's the awakening. Discipline, study, devotion, surrender, and action lead to the experience of this oneness. Now, with this understanding of Hatha Yoga, which is the, they call it like a forceful practice. And when you hear that, you think that means it's like overstretching or something. That's not what it means. It, it means applying effort through the denseness of the physical body, through the denseness of the surface-based reality, applying effort will... Uh, cultivate space for you to experience the oneness or experience yoga. So the question is, can the sadaka, the seeker, the practitioner, all of us here who are engaged in this conversation, can the sadaka, the practitioner of yoga, bring all of these elements into the practice? So can we bring discipline, study, devotion, surrender, and action to yama? Can we bring discipline, study, devotion, surrender, and action to niyama? Can we bring discipline, study, devotion, surrender, and action to asana? Can we bring tapaswadhyaya, ishvara pranidhana, kriya yoga to pranayama? Can we bring tapaswadhyaya, ishvara pranidhana, <laughs> kriya yoga to uh, pratyahara? Can we bring tapaswadhyaya, ishvara pranidhana, kriya yoga to our meditation? And in... Um, a reverent and receptive 
uh, commitment to doing so, we will experience meditation. We will experience sameness, oneness, samadhi. We will experience yoga. See? So the first one was Raja Yoga and Patanjali. The second was Hatha Yoga. The third is Jnana Yoga. Jnana. If you want to say Jnana, you're driving in your car, you're listening to this in your headphones. Take your tongue, like the, the mid part of your tongue, and put it on the roof of your mouth like you would to say ing, running, nga, nga, nga. You do that sound. Nga, okay? Jnana. Jnana Yoga. So this is what I was describing as the Swadhyaya. This is the knowledge of a system of a practice. I know the structure of the techniques that I've learned from my teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra. I know the structure of the practice that I learned from uh, waking up early and doing the Japji Sag. I know the structure of the practice from other teachers I've spent time in, and by knowing the structure, I'm able to see who I am in relationship to the structure because of knowledge. And then by immersing myself in the knowledge, wisdom, the experience of self, the relationship with God, Guru, and self in relationship to the technique and the surrender to the teacher and to the inner knower within, uh, out of that knowledge, Wisdom can arise, meditation can arise, yoga can arise. Out of the knowledge of the scriptures, it's not about, oh, I can memorize all the Bible verses, and I can memorize the Bhagavad Gita, and I can speak it from memory, and I can recite the Japji Saab by memory. That's not the point. The structure of that may help to support the experience, like if I don't have to read the words on the page, or if I know the scripture so well that I deeply understand the essence of it, it w that arises out of the structure. The structure is not the point, but you may need some structure to create enough space to experience that oneness. You with me? You see how knowledge supports this, right? Or the knowledge of history. If I know the history of yoga, if I know where it came from, if I know why it was practiced this way, if I know to honor the lineage, the bloodline and the spiritual lineage, if I know the stories of my teacher, if I know where they made mistakes, if I know where they really thrived, if I, if I have knowledge of this, the knowledge of it is not the point, but in having the knowledge, I may see myself reflected in the history, in the guru, in the teacher, in the whatever it might be, and then in seeing myself in that and making that a priority to see myself, that's the priority in relationship to the whole. When I say self, I mean God, Guru, and self. Love, God is love. You see what I'm saying? That structure, that knowledge can become a fertile ground for wisdom to flourish. So that's jnana yoga, or the, the practice of knowledge, the yoga practice of knowledge, which brings us to bhakti. And they say that bhakti, this is the fastest path to the experience of oneness. And it makes sense. It's like, you know, if I said to you, we're going to do uh, five hours of intense physical uh, asanas, or we're going to do five hours of singing, praising, and worshiping, some of us may be more inclined to the physical, but the deep experience of connection with God is going to be easier to access by means of the singing and the praising and the clapping of hands and playing of music. 
I was just going to give that a second because I don't know if y'all have been in Mexico before, but people drive down the street with a loudspeaker to get your attention to buy tamales or empanadas or furniture or beds or water or whatever. And and I thought, you know, while we're while we're talking the bhakti, I would just give it a moment and see if uh, if this loudspeaker passes by. But it might happen again. Just imagine that uh, we're sitting together on my uh, rooftop here in Mexico, and it's all a part of the experience. It's a, an effective way to advertise, I suppose, but doesn't always add to the uh, to the devotional <laughs> experience of the meditation. But as my teacher Sri Dharma Mitra he said about living in New York City. If you can find peace and connection to God through yoga practice in New York City, you can do it anywhere. So there you go. If you can find it in the noise of uh, a Puebla in Mexico, then uh, it's the same too, right? So with the bhakti, uh, uh, that's the Ishvara Pranidana. That's the surrender to God. That's the worship, the devotion, the receptivity, the merging with the one. And this is done through kirtan. Anybody practice kirtan? Uh, I had the great honor to go to uh, Harimandar Sahib, or uh, commonly known to uh, English speakers as the Golden Temple in Amritsar. And the beautiful thing about that is there's this devotional kirtan, uh, Gurbani kirtan, that is played like, I don't know, 22 hours of the day or something. And it's played over the water, and there's no speaking or service per se. It's just kirtan devotional music and you feel uh, the frequency of that and the devotion of that it is really moving or you know maybe you've had the opportunity to go to see a kirtan artist like uh, krishna das i saw krishna das a couple times in the dharma center in new york it was really moving or just be together and and singing with friends or medicine songs um you know my partner's really into that it's really moving it's it really opens our heart and moves through the emotions to um, give us a, a feeling of connectedness with the whole or maybe with our beloved or with our guru or or however we understand uh, God. It's a beautiful practice. So there's kirtan, there's mantra, and there's different forms of mantra. There's a yantra where you see the image of the mantra, and there's some beautiful yantra practices in Tibetan Buddhism. So it becomes a visual experience of the mantra. There's the japa mala, the turning of the of the beads as you recite the mantra. There's nam simran in in the Sikh tradition, and also in um, like the Hare Krishna tradition, where you recite the mantra over and over, like the Guru mantra in uh, the Sikh tradition, which is uh, Satanam Waiguru, Satanam Waiguru, Satanam Waiguru. And, and you begin to, in the practice of Nam Simran, merge with the object of your meditation, the sound itself, uh, which is also like Laya Yoga. You begin to merge with the object. So maybe you're, you know, gazing into a picture of Shiva or a picture of Jesus or Mary or, uh, you know, your teacher or a picture of a beautiful place in nature or some something that you're fixating on. And as you do that, you start to dissolve the ego and you merge with the beauty of that space and you recognize that that beauty of that space is within you, that you are the Mother Earth, that you are the Guru, that you are one with God, that you are love, made in the image of love. Okay, So this is the Bhakti Yoga practice. So we've got the Raja Yoga of Patanjali, the eight steps in the recipe to experience oneness. 
we've got the hatha yoga, the actions that we can take and apply the um, process of moving from the dense physical to the subtle uh, energetic experience. And in doing so, in moving through that balancing of pairs of opposite sun and moon, we can have an experience of oneness with God. That's what the yoga is, the experience of the oneness, okay? to yoke, to merge, to join. Then we've got uh, the knowledge practices that support us to do that. Then we've got the devotional practices that support us to do that. And then next, number five, we go into kundalini. What happens when we work with these pairs of opposites, when we take the journey from dense to subtle? We start to notice that maybe we are more than, than a physical body. Like maybe we have these energy centers, main energy centers inside the spine, chakras, right? Like a root chakra and a chakra in the pelvic region and a chakra in the navel region inside the spine and a chakra in the heart region and the base of the throat in the center of the brain, the crown of the head. Some people even say the aura extending out from the skin on all levels of the body is a chakra. Some systems say there are even more than seven or eight. I, I've been taught by my teachers seven or eight. And then you have nadis. You know, they said 72,000 nadis uh, thousands of years ago in the body, energy channels, like uh, meridians in Chinese medicine. And then there being three primary ones that we're interested in the yoga practice, the ida, pingala, and then the sushamna nadi. The balancing of these pairs of opposites start to open the central channel and the kundalini can rise, the raising of consciousness. But I also think about the pairs of opposites being the left and right um, you know, with Buddhism, these pairs of opposites, and the Buddha saying, take the middle path where you're working with both pairs of opposites like an alchemist. It's one and the same. Okay? Or the concept of the ten bodies, we learned that uh, uh, from Guru Singh. It's a really positive way of understanding these different aspects of ourselves. Or um, the koshas are the, you know, the um, energetic parts of the body that we know from classical yoga. Or I like the idea of us having three brains. There's a, a great book called Embraining that was suggested to me by one of my teachers about how you have a brain in your gut, a brain in your heart, and a brain in your head. And we put so much emphasis on the head that it's created an imbalance, you know. Or if you place too much emphasis on the uh, gut, then maybe there's like an ego imbalance. But if we allow the heart to lead, create a healthy relationship with the brain and the head, then that central channel is open and we can see who we are in relationship to the pairs of opposites. And then from there, we... Uh, go to karma yoga, which is the yoga of action. Okay, the time of the cave dweller has come and gone. Now it's about how do we take what we've learned from yoga and share it with the world? How do we uh, engage with a practice of seva? What do I mean when I say seva? Selfless action. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others uh, the, what you would like to have done to you. Or like my teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra, he, he said, as I mentioned in the start of this episode, may you be receptive to the grace of God and may you live to realize the self in this very lifetime. May you be receptive to the grace of God and may you live to realize the nature of who you are, the true self in this very lifetime. And that's where we're going to move into. You're listening to all this information about yoga and you're going, yeah, but where's the Yeshua? Where's the Jesus? Well, here, here comes the Jesus. <laughs> like in uh, that movie, uh, The Big Lebowski. 
I don't know if you all seen that, but that's an aside. Um, so here's what, when Jesus was asked to sum up what, what was the essence or the core of his teachings, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's think about this. God equals love. It says in 1 John 4, 16, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. This means that our essential, our essential nature is love. We are born contrary to popular religious belief in original blessing, not in original sin. We are made in the image of God. God is love. That's who we are. Okay? <clears throat> and this is what's spoken about in yoga as the true self. God, guru, and self are one. God is love. So God is love. Self is love. Guru is love. And our karmas or our conditions may have caused us to forget. And our dharma is how we remember. And the process in and of itself is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Learn to love, love with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Once you see it in you, you'll see it in another. You've heard people say that in dating advice. You know, if you don't love yourself, how will you love another? It's the same thing as what Sri Dharmaji is saying. What he's saying is, you know, may, may you be receptive to the grace of God. May you be receptive to love. Yes, you may have a hard shell because this happened to you and that happened to you because of your karmas. But can you practice in a way that you become receptive to love? And may you recognize the nature of the self in this lifetime, that I am love, and not only am I love, but my neighbor is love too. One and the same. Dharma and Jesus surf in the same wave. The experience of the self as love, a.k.a. God, is yoga. The experience of the self, a.k.a. God, a.k.a. love, is yoga. The experience of God, the experience of love, the experience of self, all three, one and the same, is yoga. The experience of that is yoga. That's why it's funny when people say, like, I'm going to do yoga. That's great. I'm going to do love. I'm going to go out there and do love. Go out and be love as best you can. What you do may be in favor, in support of being loved. Love your neighbor is to see the love that is God or self in another person, in another being, and to learn to act accordingly. This is what yama is about. Yama, at the very center of it, we say ahimsa is the heart of yoga. Ahimsa, we say nonviolence. The nonviolence thing to me, the language needs an update. You know, I'm going to go out there and just be nonviolent today. I like compassion. I like loving kindness. I'm going to go out and be an embodiment of a loving God. I'm going to go out there and look for that embodiment of a loving God in everybody, even the ones who are difficult to love. That's more than just being nonviolent. For me, let me know. If you have thoughts on that, let me know. Let's take a little break here, and then we'll, uh, we'll do the, the closing, the conclusion from there. Thanks for listening to Revealing the Diamond. I'm Tiago Prem, and we'll be right back.
What's up, y'all? I want to thank you so much for tuning into the show and listening to the show that is really dedicated to sharing spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom. If you want to go deeper in some of the practices you hear discussed in episodes like this, a great option is to go to tiagaprem.com and go to the courses section of the website. There you'll find all kind of evergreen content that you can practice along with from yoga nidra to the study of text to physical hatha yoga practices. Whatever it is you're looking for, you'll find it at tiagaprem.com in the courses section, and you can do those from anywhere in the world. If you are interested in in-person practices, trainings, etc., I am currently located in San Pancho, Mexico. So if you want to come down and practice, you can find me. I've got regular classes. If you want to do trainings, retreats, that kind of thing, just send me a message and say you're interested. Tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com or send me a DM on Instagram and stay tuned in to tiagoprem.com for more info on how to practice together, how to train together so that we can be an impact in this world, a uh, light of love, a medicine carrier, and a, a yogi of integrity during this time. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So before the break, we were talking about loving your neighbor as yourself and how uh, to love your neighbor is to see the love that is God or self in another and to learn to act accordingly. So that means embodying your yamas, your, your ethical practices, and at the heart of that is compassion, is uh, loving kindness, embodiment of love, okay? And also karma yoga, serving, feed people, feed people, get involved in your community, make the world a better place with your actions. And, and to practice living in the resonant frequency of love with what or who appears to be other. Can I repeat that one for you? Practice living in the resonant frequency of love with what or who appears to be other. You know, that person appears to be other. This situation appears to be other. This politician appears to be other. This situation appears to be other. Can I see that God is omnipresent? That means God is in everything, even in the challenge. But we got to learn to see it to see the oneness. That becomes the practice. Can I see God in the difficulty? Can I see God in the pain, in the karmas that I'm experiencing? Can I see the sameness in somebody who really is causing harm to myself and to others? It's not easy. That sameness, that's samadhi. And in order to experience that, we've been taught by Patanjali that there's a bunch of things you're probably gonna have to do. You are unique, yes, but as a science, there are some things that you could do that would help you to experience that. You could have a, a practice of ethics. You could have some routines and rituals that you do. You could have an asana practice. You could have a breathing practice. You could create a healthy relationship with your senses. You could have a meditation practice. You could study scriptures. You could create some discipline around that. You could have a devotional practice that's about surrendering to God. And by being structured in that and creating this as a lifestyle, which is what it means to be a yogi, a practitioner of yoga, meaning that you're doing all of these techniques that prepare for yoga because you have had some experience of oneness with God, or you believe that it's possible, if you haven't had an experience yet, you believe that it's possible, so you engage in a yoga practice, and then in doing so, you may experience the end result of yoga, which is to see sameness or oneness as it is, 
omnipresent everywhere to see the God in all. And in order to do this, we must awaken to some understanding of who we are. We are made in the image of God. It says in Genesis, in the scriptures, in the Bible, this is the central uh, teaching of Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're made in the image of God, what is God? If you look at the Bible, because we're talking Jesus today, you see that God is love. So you're awakening to who? You are, which is made in the image of love. So therefore, who you are at your core, at your essence, is original blessing. It is love. That is your nature. And God, guru, guru meaning, you know, not somebody who manipulates you and takes your money, but guru meaning the remover of ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance of self. What is your self? Love. So y- y- guru is the one that helps to remind you of who you are. You are love. You're not your problems. You're not meant to play small. You're not insignificant. You're not, you know, whatever your story is, you are love. The guru principle is the principle that reminds you of who you are. When you are ignoring who you are because of your conditions, what's happening in your life, it is the reminder. The guru is the reminder of who you are. Okay? According to Ayurveda, the sister science of yoga, and the ancient study of life itself, the primordial cause of disease, primordial means root, the root cause of disease is forgetting who you are. That's ignorance of self, forgetting who you are. And the guru goes, hey, you don't need to be sick anymore. Remember who you are? Your love. And God and guru are the same thing. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? And he says, I and the Father are one. Aren't we talking about the same thing here? You know, then some people say, oh, it's only this guru. We've done that in all kinds of, you know, yoga and that sort of thing. Oh, it's only my teacher, my path, my religion, my faith. Uh, It's only for me. It's not for you. That's the nature of duality. That's ignorance of self. (laughs) You with me? Okay, so we're, we're... What do we do with the primordial cause of disease? Forgetting who you are? We remember who we are. We unite with God, yoga. We unite with self, yoga. We remember who we are through the the grace of the guru, yoga. This process of awakening to the experience of oneness, sameness, self, no self, one drum, depends who you're talking to. See the Buddha, Guru Nanak, Anandamai Ma, the indigenous wisdom from folks like Richard Wagamese, just to name a few. That's what a yoga practice supports as a science. The process of awakening to the experience of oneness, or sameness, or self, or to the Buddhists, no self. Or doesn't matter how you cook it up. At the essence, it's the same. Okay? The science of experiencing the self as love, a.k.a. God. The practice of love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The practice of love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You got me? I'll say it again. The practice of love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or, just to bring it full circle, may you be receptive to the grace of God and may you live to realize the self in this very lifetime. It's the same practice. And Jesus is a perfect example of what that looks like.
And you may find those examples everywhere because God is everywhere. Love is everywhere, constantly guiding you. And yoga is a wonderful system to realize this and bringing a devotional element to it. Like the praise and worship music of the Christian faith is beautiful bhakti yoga. Just like the Gurbani Kirtan of the Sikhs is beautiful bhakti yoga. Just like the beautiful chanting of my first yoga teacher, Bhagavan Das, bhakti yoga. You know, even when I'm in um, Dharamsala in India and I'm listening to the Tibetan monks chanting and having this incredible uh, transformative experience, to me, that's bhakti yoga. It's the devotional peace. And then we can apply these other things, the hatha yoga that we learn from people like Sri Dharma Mitra and and the other schools of practices that you may have learned from. We learn about Patanjali, and we learn about the science and the Raj Yoga and how this fits together. We, the things that really resonate with us, we study those, and we learn all the nooks and crannies of them because we know in the knowledge we create space and structure for wisdom to arise. We do our devotional practices. We do our mantras. We do our early morning sadhanas. We get in touch with the energetic aspects of the practice and we learn about how people before us saw how the energy worked, but we also rely on our own experience simultaneously. And then we go out and we serve. We feed people. We be kind. We pray for those who persecute us. That's what it's about. And Jesus has been a perfect example of that. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation about Jesus, the yogi, and how Jesus relates to yoga, philosophy, and science. I hope that encourages you to stick with this Sermon on the Mount series we've been doing on Revealing the Diamond. It really is powerful stuff. And I, I just, my prayer is that, just like Dharmaji said at the start of this uh, class, my prayer is that we would be receptive to the grace of God, that we would be receptive to the grace of love, and that we would wake up to who we are in this lifetime, made in the image of God, made in the image of love. May we see that in ourselves, and may we see it in the other. I pray that we would learn to dissolve the ego, that we would learn to chase the devil away, as Max Romeo said in his tune, Chase the Devil. And, and in doing so, may we be humble, may we see who we are, and may we be a light of love and medicine on this planet during this time. We'll see you on Sunday's episode. Keep tuning in. If you want to learn more about the work I'm doing, go to tiagaprem.com, and we'll see you in Mexico soon. Bless.